Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88,000. Uh, today, I want to I want to speak to you on living with vision. So, uh, how many of you are excited that football season's getting ready to start? Anybody in the house? Don't act like you're not. Come on, where are my Razorback fans at? Anybody in the house ready for this season? Okay. And then, how many of you are saying this is our year? Because I want you to come down and receive prayer. Because if you do this every year, and I'm a Razorback fan. For sure, okay, I've embraced it. Uh, I've even done spirit fingers a couple of times and, and, uh, and all that, but I'm still a Broncos fan, so we got preseason starting with the NFL. Uh, last night we played the Cowgirls, I mean the Cowboys in a preseason game. And, and so, uh, but here's what I've noticed. Like I, when, I, when I got on my, one of my apps I track all the scores and stuff with, when you're looking at like a football score, uh, how many of y'all know you've already prejudged what's happening in that game if like the score is low and it's divisible by three? You're like, that game is not gonna be fun to watch. Like, I, I don't wanna watch a game where there's just a bunch of defense and maybe a field goal every once in a while. Nobody wants to watch a game that's just a bunch of defense. The only people that want to watch a game with a bunch of defense are defensive coordinators and people that play defense in high school, right? Those are the only people that wanna watch those games. Everybody else, like, we wanna see a lot of scoring. That's what we wanna see. I, I, I didn't get to play a lot of sports growing up because I moved around a lot. Uh, but I just want to let you know, I am not built for defense. I'm not built for it. Like, I played a little bit of basketball, and, and I, I did all right on offense, all right? I, I was like a, a, a small forward. I was just like right in that range where it's like I could play guard, but I, I had, I like to post up underneath. But and I did okay there, but when it came to defense, I was like a prepubescent giraffe out there. Like, it looked super awkward. Like, my, my, I, I would, people would break my ankles all the time. And for those of you who don't know, I don't mean literally. That's what the young people say when you get crossed up and you fall down, okay? I would fall down. I would foul out. It was just, it wasn't great. And I, anytime I was playing defense, I'm like, I just want to get back on offense. I just want to get back down there because I'm more built for that. It's a little bit like, how many of y'all remember uh, playing dodgeball at any point? Come on, dodgeball. I love dodgeball. I love dodgeball. I think it's amazing they have like professional leagues now for, or for dodgeball. But y'all remember playing dodgeball and, you know, you always had those people that were like super aggressive, right? Uh, I was one of them, okay? I, I, I don't know if this may come as a shock to you, but I'm uh, competitive, I'm just a little bit competitive, and I get a little bit intense. So I was always one of the people that was running out to get the balls, to retrieve them back. Uh, and so I, I would get out pretty quick, you know, just because I was super aggressive. I was up there. I was ready, you know, to take one for the team. Uh, but it would drive me crazy when it would get to that point where there's that one person left that's on your team, and they're out there, and they're, like, hiding in the very back corner and they don't, want to, they don't want to throw anything because they're afraid somebody's going to catch it. They won't, they, won't, they won't catch anything because they're afraid they're going to get out. So they just sit back there waiting in a defensive position. 
at one point or another, I would get so mad at them. I'm like, I want to just lose. Will you please just let us lose so we can start the next game? I, 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 it drives me crazy when we're not playing offense. And I think that the Lord is telling us it is time to play offense. It's time. There's something stirring in my spirit about this because I feel like there's too many of us that have been on our heels for way too long. I think the church, the body of Christ, looks awkward playing defense in the world. Like trying to just put out fires, trying to please everyone, becoming timid, letting the world tell the people of God how to live. The church was never meant to be on the defense, ever. God didn't create us to be that way. It says in Matthew 16, 18, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I love the imagery there because what this is saying is the church is playing offense to the point that Satan is the one playing defense. He's having to build fences and gates. Satan on his heels. That's the way it should be. And too often, though, we can be in a place in our own lives or even as the church where we're the ones building fences and building gates, hoping the devil doesn't come and get us instead of taking the fight to him. I think that's the way it should be. We should put the enemy on his heels. God designed his church to be people on the go, people that are moving into the world with tons of love, tons of compassion, carrying the power of the uncompromising word of God, the gospel of Jesus, filled with his Holy Spirit and doing our best to wrap our arms around a lost and dying world. That's who he's called us to be. And as a church family, I think we need to get on the offensive side of the ball. Some of you, you need to get your vision back. You lost it. Vision for your life, vision for your family, vision for the church. You were made to live with vision. Vision is like gasoline for your soul. If you don't have it, man, it's a bummer. Vision is actually what sets us apart from all of the rest of God's creation. Nothing else in God's creation. He's given the ability that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can get a peek into a possible future and go after it. God's given us that. In Acts 26, I'm gonna give you a little bit of context and I'll read this verse. In Acts 26, it says that Paul was going on trial and he'd already seen this one official, but now he's, he's, he's standing before a guy named King Agrippa and King Agrippa is asking him basically to give his defense because all the religious leaders at that point, they want Paul dead. The very people, honestly, that should be getting Paul's back the people that should be helping him get this ministry done are the very ones that are against him. And Paul, all he does is he just gives his testimony. And he talks about the fact that he used to kill Christians, he used to be a terrorist, he used to do that with, with more passion than anybody else before. But one day he had an encounter with Jesus and it changed him forever. And Jesus gave him supernatural vision to see the kingdom of God and to see his role in it. And from that day going forward, that was all that mattered to Paul. It was all that mattered to Paul. 
Paul was not worried about what people thought. Paul didn't have any fear of man. He saw very clearly there's a natural kingdom and there's the kingdom of heaven. What God's called me to build is the kingdom of heaven and I'm gonna do it. And he says this, so King Agrippa, I have not been disobedient to the vision that God gave me. Another vision says heavenly vision, a heavenly vision because that's the difference. The difference is you're either going to see the kingdom of God moving forward in every area of your life, no matter what you do, no matter what your job is, you can see the kingdom of God. You can see souls, you can see the need that people have for Jesus, and you can see your role in that. And he says, I was not disobedient to that. It's a heavenly vision. And when you see a pastor around here or a life group leader, or anyone like that around here, this is our desire for your life, that one day you're gonna stand before the king of kings and you're gonna be able to say, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision that you gave me, God. I was obedient. I did it. And I want us to be able to say that as a church body too. We were faithful with what we, you gave us. We weren't on the defense. We weren't on our heels. We were moving forward into everything that you have for us. And Proverbs 29, 18 says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. Another translation says people cast off restraint. They go crazy without vision. How many of y'all would say there's a lot of crazy people in the world right now? I'll tell you why. It's because we are slowly but surely abandoning and surrendering the vision that God has given us. As a nation, we have surrendered the vision that God gave us as a nation. Our Judeo-Christian ethics, we've abandoned that. And because of that, that's why it's so crazy. You just need to know this. A new president is not gonna solve the issues in this country. It's not gonna be more legislation. It's not gonna be any of that. The only thing that's gonna save this nation is us turning back to Jesus. The hope of the world is Jesus. His body, the church, is the manifestation of his presence on this earth. And if we don't do what God's called us to do and start fighting the right fight in the right places with the right people and get back on track, that's the only thing that's gonna turn our nation around. We have to get that vision back. When we go through life without vision, it's a little bit like this. It'd be like me going to the store without a shopping list. Because I've, if I go to the Walmarts, okay, if I go to the Walmarts and I'm hungry and I don't have a shopping list, this is not gonna be good. I won't, when Cody asked me, James, will you go to the store? She, she knows immediately. She should just send me the list before she even asked me. Because if she does not send me a detailed list, and I'm not just saying like in general, get me some of this. I'm like, what brand? What brand? I, I, I'm not gonna go because I, I don't want to shop. I want to hunt. I'm going there to hunt for a list of things that you are gonna give me. Because if I go in any other way, I know what's gonna happen. I'm gonna show up hungry, and if I don't have vision, I'm gonna wind up buying 12 boxes of Slim Jims, 25 bags of Cheeto Puffs, and five jars of pickled okra. I don't know why, but that would just sound good to me. And everybody's gonna think, he must smoke pot, because he's, he, look at the stuff that he's buying. This dude's just got the munchies, but the truth is all those things would just sound good to me. And because I didn't have vision and because I didn't have a command and a clear instructions on what to do, I know my flesh. I'm gonna spend 600 bucks on a bunch of stuff we don't know and we don't need. That's just gonna happen. That's what it's like when you don't have vision. 
When you see people picking up bad habits or being in bad relationships, typically the problem is they just didn't have vision for their life. So they just fell into whatever was next. So here's how you perish. First of all, one of the ways you perish is no vision will produce indecision. Indecision. James 1a says, double-minded people can't make up their minds. They waver back and forth in everything they do. Another translation says, they are blown and tossed by the wind. Every storm of life that comes along, they just, they just go wherever the wind's blowing. Without vision for your future, you're just gonna be drifting, wandering around, rambling through life. You're not really gonna be living, you're just gonna be existing. And God didn't create you to let life happen to you. He created you to happen to life. That's what he created you for. Also, no vision will produce division. Division. If you don't have godly vision, you're always going to be divided on everything in your life. It'll certainly create division among people, but it'll create division in your own life in making decisions. Because if you can't see clearly that God has created you for the kingdom of God, you're going to have a tendency to be divided to this world. You'll be divided in, in how you spend money. You'll be divided on how you're supposed to raise your kids. You'll be divided on how you're supposed to spend your time, how you're supposed to be involved in the work of God. You'll be divided. And Proverbs 28.2 says, when the country is in chaos, everybody has a plan to fix it, but it takes a leader of real understanding to straighten things out. And it's gonna be the same thing in your life. The real understanding is not gonna come through your own intellect. It's not gonna come through the knowledge of good and evil in your life. The only way that you're gonna have true wisdom is to get connected to your heavenly purpose and walk it out. To be connected to his word and walk it out. So over the next few weeks, we're gonna be in a season of vision around here and we're just asking for you to be open. And I'm gonna ask for you, just settle whatever you need to settle in your heart so that you can be all in. Because we're gonna run with vision. And it's time as a church that we start moving towards the things of God that he's given us in this season because we will not be disobedient to the heavenly vision that God's given us. In Numbers 13 and 14, a lot of us remember this story out of the Bible. Jesus, or God, has set his people free from captivity, several hundred years of captivity, and he does it supernaturally. He does it through signs and wonders. Like, like there's no other explanation that it was God. It's clear. These plagues, and then as, as they're leaving, their enemies pursue them. But God supernaturally opens up a sea. They walk across on dry land, and then he destroys all their enemies. The reason why it's so crazy to me is because God is showing up and he's showing them, I am real, I am powerful, and I am for you. But they forget that really quickly. Because not long after that, God says, hey, I wanna, I'm going to bring you to my promise. I want to bring you to a promised land. This is the vision that I have for you. But right as they're standing on the border, they Pick representatives, 12 representatives, one from each tribe. And they say, you're gonna go in and you're going to spy. You're gonna take notes on everything that's in this land and you're gonna come back and report. What's so frustrating is how quickly they lost their courage. How quickly they lost the fact that God was with them. 
So they go on this fact-finding mission. In Numbers 13, 17, it says this, Moses gave these men instructions as he sent them out to explore the new land. Go northward through the Negev into the hill country and see that that, what that land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they have? Is it good or bad? Do the towns have walls? Are they unprotected? How's the soil? Is it fertile? Is it poor? Are there many trees? Enter the land boldly and bring back samples of the crops that you see. Why did Moses do this? Because he understood that you have got to see it before you're going to be able to achieve it. You've got to see it. This is a vision test first. Can you see it? But here's the thing. A lot of times we think God gave me a promise, so it's going to be easy. No. I'm sorry, but if you don't have vision that you can't do without him helping you, you don't have his vision. If you have a dream that you can easily achieve on your own because you're smart enough, gifted enough, or good enough at it, you don't have God's dream. He wants you to depend on him. So they go, and then they begin to report back. Numbers 13, verse 21 and 23, it says this. So they sent spies in, and they spied out the land all the way from the wilderness up to Hebron, and there they saw. Everybody say, saw? Okay, now, now they're starting to see this. The Hamanites, the Sheshites, all the Talmites. Sounds like they need an exterminator. All the families descended from Anak. Okay, so they saw. Okay, but there's two different ways to see. There's two different ways to see. They weren't seeing it the right way. In verse 25 says, after seeing, they reported to the whole community that they had seen. And they showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. I think the reason why these two chapters are in here is because God wants to help us avoid some mindsets that can happen when he's trying to show us his vision and promise. That's what he's trying to help us to see. And the first one is this, I must stop focusing on the negative. Stop focusing on the negative. Verses 27 and 28. This was their report to Moses. We arrived in the land that you sent us to to see, and it is indeed a significant country. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's some of the fruit as proof, but, everybody say but, but the people living there are powerful and their cities and towns are fortified and they're very large. We also saw the Anakim, which is where, where uh, Darth Vader came from, I think. Anakim, it sounds very, that's a bad uh, joke. I'm sorry about that. I repent. The descendants of Anak who lived in the desert. It's great, God. It's a great promise. It's a great vision, but their butts start getting them in trouble right here. You know, at one point or another in your life, God's going to give you a big vision and a big promise, and you've got to decide what kind of butt you're going to have. Are you going to come back at God like, yeah, it's fine, God, but if you're going to grab a hold of vision at one point or another, you're going to have to start kicking yourself in the butt so that you can achieve it. When you overemphasize the negative, it's going to create a lot of stress in your life. It's going to create a lot of worry. When you're looking at everything through fear, 
You're going to be looking at the glass half empty all the time. Instead of being filled with supernatural joy and peace and being grateful that the glass is still half full. And at one point or another, you, you've, you've got to decide that you're going to stop looking at what you lost and start looking at what you still have and what God can still do with that. You've got to move forward. Now, of course, life is full of negatives. Yeah, I'm not saying just pretend like, man, everything's so great. It's just butterflies and meadows and we prance through them. No, sometimes stuff sucks. I'm not saying don't be insincere. I'm not saying don't be real, but you're going to have to make a decision. What's your focus going to be? You can see all that, but still make the decision to move towards it with the right view. Not away from it. Not in fear. To be honest, I don't need to watch much news these days. I'll put news in quotes because I don't even know if that's what we have anymore. I don't need to watch much. I, I am more naturally not an optimist. I'm not naturally an optimist. I'm more naturally a pessimist. I thank God for his spirit. But I, I don't need much of this, but this is what will happen sometimes. I'll get up early in the morning and I'll spend some time praying and in the word and, and maybe in some, some devotion. I'm doing really great. But the problem is if I have too much time, I might watch news. So I'll watch news. I'll watch it for a little bit. But then when the rest of the family gets up, I got to be really careful. Because it can affect my attitude like right away. Like I'm going to them, but I'm, I'm just... I'm overwhelmed thinking about, well, there's war and kidnappings and a bobcat attacking a lady on her porch. And, and the, the land mooning obviously didn't happen for real. And apparently the earth is flat. So, you know, it's just, everything's horrible. My wife can always, she can always tell if I spent any amount of time watching the news in the morning. She's like, you're grumpy. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm a man of God. I spent time with the Lord this morning. Yeah, but then I saw some giants. Then I saw all this stuff. God is good, but. And she's like, just tell me something good. Tell me something. What's, what did God speak to you? She's more naturally always going to be positive. She's almost never grumpy when she wakes up. She's one of those people, if she had her choice, she'd wake up in the morning. As soon as her head pops off the pillow, she would say, rise and shine and give God. And I'm glad that she doesn't do that because we'd be in marriage counseling all the time. <laughs> but she's just naturally a more positive person. The only time that Cody is ever grumpy or negative in the morning is when she's had a dream with me in it and I've been mean to her. Does that happen to anybody else? Any other married couples in the room or anybody, you, it's like you wake up and because they were in your dream and they were rude to you, you're like, uh-huh. Like she's like that to me. I'm like, what's going on? What's wrong? She's like, you know what you did. I'm like, uh, I'm sorry. I don't know what it is. That's the only time that she's ever negative. We have to know the things that affect us. You can't avoid all of that. But you can control the filter that you approach it with. You can make a decision 
Did you know that nobody, nobody can steal joy? Nobody can steal peace. You surrender it. You surrender it. I must stop focusing on the negative. There were 10 spies that were negative and two that were positive. I think it's interesting because that's about the ratio that we have today. It's about 85% negative, probably higher than that. Not a lot of positive. You can't dwell on the negative and move towards the things God has for you. It doesn't happen. Number two, I must stop focusing on what other people are doing. And at some point, what they're saying. Numbers 13, 29. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan, the Jordan River. What are they saying? We're not gonna have enough. They already see lack. Lack is coming. All these people are there and they're gobbling everything up and all that is good will already be taken. This is a scarcity mentality. It's also a victim mentality. We can't do this. This is, it's not gonna happen. We did this at the start of the pandemic. You guys remember that? Remember how people were going crazy over toilet paper? Fighting. I watched two ladies get in a fight over a package of toilet paper. Going at it in a church parking lot. Crazy. It can happen so quickly. If y'all have watched, I'm sure we all have, wears me out. Medication commercials. My kids have, have picked up on how, how silly these things are, like how crazy they are. Because you know how they go, right? There's like this upbeat, positive music, right? And, and usually they try to like present like, like this person's just one of us. They, they're just like you, just like me. They're always attractive and everything, but the medication is always for like, like clearing up your skin, right? So they'll spend 15 seconds talking about how great this is. And then 45 seconds giving you all the possible side effects, right? So I looked up the side effects for one of these popular medications that are out there right now. Talking about the side effects. There might be dizziness, fast heartbeat, general feeling of discomfort or illness, hives, itching, skin rash, joint pain, loss of appetite, muscle aches and pains, nausea, puffiness or swelling around the eyelids or their eyes. Face, lips, or tongue. So then I start picturing this person. <laughs> like they're allergic to bee stings. <laughs> yeah, but that spot on my skin cleared up. The fact of the matter is, scarcity mentality has side effects too. Here's the side effects. You'll complain about your day, your job, your life, your leaders, your church, and your God. Those are pretty serious side effects, and it'll affect everything to the point where you won't see the benefits at all. You will surrender your joy and peace. Now, if you look at this, what I believe is a new season that God is giving us, if you look at it through the eyes of fear, 
then you're going to develop this scarcity victim mentality, which is going to create a lot of stress and anxiety in your life. Like there's just never enough. But this is the way it'll look for you. You'll start saying things like this. All the good experiences are gone. All the good jobs are already taken. All the good houses are already bought. All the good husbands are already married. And all the good women have all gone bad. People with a scarcity thinking will start hoarding and stop giving. We'll start looking at just taking care of ourselves and stop loving people. We have to look at it through the eyes of faith. Also, it shows us that I have to refuse to live a miserable life. I'm just gonna refuse to live a miserable life. Numbers 14. Then all the people began weeping aloud and they cried all night and they grumbled and they complained in a great chorus against their leaders. Like I think about it, like a chorus, like they like, like practiced. Like, okay, tenors, sopranos, okay. You guys know your parts, right? Okay, we're all gonna complain together to our leaders. Man, what a miserable life. Because they have no vision. They get depressed. They're complaining more. I refuse to live my life like this. And honestly, I've had to repent a little bit because it happened to me too. Like I'm, I, I'm just in this place where it's like, man, I've, I had to go through the pandemic. Okay. The church is under attack all over the place. Okay. Jesus told me these things were gonna happen. And he gave me his spirit. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I've got to make a choice one time, at one point or another that I just refuse. I refuse to get drawn into the things that are temporary. God has a future for us to smile at. To be expectant about. Something so big, there's no way we can do it without him. We have to have him. And it's going to be something that matters for eternity. But it's also going to be something that's going to take the whole team, a whole church, the whole family working together, and we've got to get on the same page. That vision has to hit your heart. And then it's got to be grounded in faith. Think about Caleb. Caleb was one of two people that came back from spying that didn't give a negative report. And it wasn't because he didn't see what everybody else saw. He saw all of it. Him and Joshua, that was it. Think about this. An entire generation was wiped off the face of the planet of the earth because they were negative and complained and couldn't see this. Caleb did. And I love this because Caleb was one of the only two who's like, we got this. I think Caleb's like, hello? Y'all remember Egypt? God took out our enemies. We got this. Let's do this thing. And I think about, I think about him because 
Because then he had to spend 40 years in the wilderness with a bunch of whiny, complainy babies. But he never lost focus on what mattered. He never lost focus on the vision. And in fact, at 85 years old, when they were divvying out the land in the promised land, and they said, okay, Caleb, what do you want? And at 85 years old, he's like, I can fight just as good now as I've ever been able to fight. I've got more passion and energy for this vision than I've ever had before. I want you to give me the hill country. You know what's in the hill country? Giants. Like the scariest people that they came back to report on, that's where they are. They're in the hill country. Everybody else is like, yeah, um, I like beachside, something by the river. Caleb's like, no, no, I, I see this vision clearly. And I'd rather spend the rest of my life fighting giants than to settle for my own vision for what would be comfortable and easy. I'd rather spend the rest of my life dealing with difficult things and difficult people being smack dab in the middle of God's will than to abandon it for something that's easy. I love that. Here's the thing. It says in Numbers 14, 24, but because my servant Caleb had a different spirit, and follows me wholeheartedly, I will give to him, I will bring him into the land that he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. It wasn't because he was any more naturally gifted than anybody else. He just had a different perspective. He, he chose to see things through God's eyes, to see his vision. And that's what I want. I want us to be a church that has a different spirit than the rest of the world. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. First thing I wanna, I wanna pray through, talk through is there might be a couple, maybe a few people in this room right now that as I'm talking through all this, I think there's something that it kind of resonates in your heart. It resonates in, in your soul, but, but you're still disconnected from it because you can't have God's vision. You can't have a heavenly vision without a relationship with Jesus. It starts there. Just like with Paul, he had to encounter Jesus first before he could start doing his real purpose, his real calling. And so there might be a few of you in here that maybe this is your first time ever coming into a church because somebody invited you. Maybe this is your first time to come back to church in a long time because you got hurt by church and you're willing to try it again. Or maybe just a few days after you were born, your family had you in a church pew or a church seat and you've been here ever since. But if you were honest, you've never had a genuine relationship with Jesus. You've just done the church thing. 
And I don't know where you're at, but I know this, a part of what God has given us as a church is to reach the lost. All of us were lost at some point. All of us were lost. I was lost. God's called us to reach the lost. God's called us to reach the unchurched. The people that have walked away from church. The people that are not fed up with God, they're just fed up with church. But his heart is that every one of his sons and daughters would be reconciled to him. And that only happens through a person surrendering their life to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And if you're here today and you need to do that, maybe you feel like you did at one point, but you've been away from him. You need to repent and come back to him. Either way, God's will is for this to be a place of salvation. And today it could be your place of salvation. If you're away from him, I'm gonna ask you to do something that's a little bold. My goal is not to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I wanna give you an opportunity to put your faith in action, to demonstrate of your own free will that you need Jesus. And if that's you, nobody's looking around, I want you to put your hand up right now with some boldness across this room. Put it up, put it up high. And then if you got your hand up, you can look up at me as soon as I see you. I just wanna confirm to you, I see you. I got you, yes ma'am. I got you, bro. Yes ma'am, I got you guys. Anyone else? I'm ready to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? I'm away from him and I need him. Okay. Got it. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. I got you right over here. Anyone else? I'm ready to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm not going to play games anymore. I'm not going to play religion try doing it on my own and I can. I'm ready to call on him. Anyone else? Okay. I want you to know that you raising your hand is not what gets you saved. It's not by works. It's by faith in Jesus. But, but also know that when you raised your hand, when you were bold like that, you felt this this grace and this faith release inside of you. The rest of your life, you're gonna have an opportunity to put your faith into action. And I think it's important for you to feel what that feels like right at the very beginning. And what we're gonna do now is we're just gonna have a conversation with the Lord. And you don't have to have all the perfect words because he's looking at the condition of your heart but it is important because the word says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, which also means that you can have this prayer right there in your chair. That's fine. But at some point you need to profess your faith in Jesus. You need to tell somebody. I encourage you to tell somebody as soon as this service is over. At some point, go public with your faith through water baptism. Being water baptized, it's what Jesus gave us to demonstrate that we're a believer and we're committed to him. We're, making, we're in covenant with him. But right there in your chair, we're gonna talk to him. And I just want you to say something like this. Say, Jesus, I need you. 
because I'm a sinner, because I'm lost without you and I, and I can't pay the price for my own sin. I, I'm not good enough. I can't work hard enough. I'm not a good person. I'm, I'm broken, but I believe that you came, Jesus, and you died on the cross for me. I can't explain that kind of love. All I can do is accept it. But I believe you died on the cross for my sin and I ask for your forgiveness now. Please forgive me for my sin. But I also believe that you didn't stay dead. You rose from the grave. And because of that, sin is defeated. Past, present, and future, my sin is defeated. I don't have to live under that slavery. I don't have to be bound by those chains ever again. And you also defeated death. And I thank you for that because it means someday I, I, I get to go to heaven and be with you, but I don't wanna wait and just live a safe life and show up in heaven. I wanna live out my purpose for you. Help me understand what that is. I don't know what it is right now. I'm not clear on it, but I, I know that you have a purpose for me. You have vision for my life. And I know that you're gonna reveal that to me through your Holy Spirit the standard of your word. God, help me to find other believers that believe what I believe that can encourage me and challenge me and help me to walk in this process. I surrender to you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for giving me a new life. And Father God, for the rest of us, God, would you just settle in our hearts what matters, what really matters, and would we never again compromise on it? God, whatever season of life we're in, whatever we're doing, God, I pray that you just help us to have your eyes to see, your ears to hear, your words to speak. Give us your vision, God, and never again let us to fall back on our heels in fear and timidity. Help us to walk forward into everything that you have for us, Father. We thank you for that. It's for your glory, it's for your kingdom. It's because we were first loved by you even when we didn't deserve it. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.